Well, good morning, everybody. Are you glad to be alive? How many of you have bought an electronic device or a toy? And you open it up, you were excited about using it, and the batteries were not included. That is one of the most annoying things. Batteries are not included, but um, and then uh, some you know changing it today. But then you gave you the, they give you the weak little batteries, you know, the ones that only get it started and then they're dead the next day. Do you know that this morning, if you are not a follower of Christ and you contemplated becoming a Christian, that when you become a Christian. When you make that decision to follow Christ, the batteries are included. Amen? And those of you who are Christ followers this morning, you're thankful that the batteries are included, but sometimes you wonder if the batteries have gone dead. You been there? You see, every Sunday morning that I speak, I'm up here on this uh, little microphone, and it has batteries in it. But if... I was to take a battery out, then what would happen? If I was to take a battery out, I was going to do that. That freaked you out, didn't it? (laughs) The batteries have to be in for the microphone to work. But the batteries are included. When you're a Christ follower. But a lot of times, it may not be that the batteries are not included, the batteries are run down. You have not pushed the power button to let the power that God has given you to live the life God's called you to. And you're struggling. You're struggling on your own. You're struggling not to keep up with the Joneses. You're just struggling to keep up with the other people sitting beside you thinking, oh my gosh, I don't live like I should according to them or do what God wants me to do. And there's a weariness to you. And so one of the reasons that we are in this series on living life in the Spirit is to get us to dial in to the power that God has given us to live the life He intended for us. But what I'm discovering, and I've mentioned it, I think, about every week now. This is our third week. There is a lot of, what can I just say? There's just a lot of ignorance related to the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. And I attribute that ignorance to people like me. Because I don't know that the church has done a very good job of teaching on it. And sometimes when churches do teach on it, they seem to be a little bit out and left filled on it. But there is a lot of counsel concerning the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christ follower this morning, you need to clearly understand the essential foundational truths of the Holy Spirit and living life in Him. And if you are not a Christ follower here this morning, I want to really encourage you because, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to try to live the Christian life without any power. God gives you the power. So we're going to continue to add to the list that we've been in. These are the ones that we looked at this last week, if I got this going here. Now, if there's not power in this little remote, that will just be too funny. Am I good? Am I pressing the wrong thing again? Am I pressing? There we go. Did I do that or did you guys do that? All right. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, a feeling, or a fabrication of our minds. The Holy Spirit is God. He is co-equal third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He is the helper, the advocate, the comforter, counselor. That's what the word paraclete means, and that's where we started. In John 14, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit indwells the born-again Christ follower at conversion. You get the batteries. And the Holy Spirit transforms the Christ follower yielded to his control. 
We looked at that last week, and I tell you, one of the joys that I'm having this week is to interact during our, our small groups, our life group times. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be heading to another life group on Monday. So I've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So if you think that, you know, you're doing well, then just jump into more and you can keep going. But to interact on these things, and we've been talking about which ones of these so far resonate with you, which ones are challenging to you, which ones are new to you, and let's unpack those more. Because what we do in life groups is sort of unpack what we're talking about on Sunday mornings and have interaction and discussion more on it. But last week, the Holy Spirit transforms a Christ follower, yielded to his control. This is how you could sum up what we talked about last week. To daily yield to the indwelling of the Spirit yields the fruit of the Spirit daily. To daily yield to the indwelling of the Spirit yields the fruit of the Spirit daily. That we have to move ourselves into relinquishing control of our life to let the one who dwells in us to live through us. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22, can we read these together? Here we go. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that sound like a really good list? Need some of that this week? The batteries are included. It comes from the Spirit working in you. Now, you also just read off what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to do a series on the fruit of the Spirit. All right? We'll start that. Um, I don't know. When am I starting that? Somewhere in the middle of June. This was one of the verses we looked at last week. Romans 8, 5 says this. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We talked last week about how the body's made, I mean, how the human being's made up. Is it two parts? Is it three parts? But there's a a body that is um, a material part, and then there is an immaterial part, all right? That's Hebraic thinking, uh, two parts, all right? There's the... Material part, including, in one sense, your soulish part, your mind, will, and your emotions. But then there's also the spirit, all right? But many times you can take that, and we talked about that last week, a body, um, soul, and mind. If the soul, you could reference that as the soulish part of the mind, the will, and emotions. And those things are continually needing to be changed and transformed. That would be the sinful nature, if you will, all right? But you as an individual have an immaterial part. It's the spirit. It will live forever. You have a spirit. But guess what? If you don't have the batteries included, if you've not become a Christ follower, your spirit is dead. And we can look at that historically, biblically, going back to the fall of Adam and the beginning, that we have a dead spirit. But Christ, who's been raised from the dead, when you invite him into your life, your spirit becomes alive in him. And that Holy Spirit... The Spirit of Jesus, when Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit's really the Spirit of Jesus, even though he's third person, co-equal of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you is wanting to live his life through you. And so what Paul's saying here, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. You do not have to salute to the sinful nature or bow down and succumb to its leanings and enticements in your life. That's not who you are, Paul's saying. You have a new spirit, the Holy Spirit within you, and if Christ is in you, your spirit's alive because of not your righteousness, but because of his righteousness, his goodness, all right? So you're fully alive in Christ. That's why, in part, we're named the Awakening Church. We want you to be fully alive in Christ. But with this key passage, I want to give exhortation, and we actually made mention of this some in one of my life groups this week. This, spirit, this passage is not meant to beat you up and make you doubt your salvation if you're a Christ follower. Oh, look at you. You're such a sinful, pathetic human being. Where did your thought life go this week? Well, what was that attitude and that disposition that came out with your kids this week? Nana, nana, nana. You're not a very Christ. You're not a Christian even. That little chatter goes on in our minds. And what Paul's saying here is not like, yep, I don't think you got the spirit. I think you're, you're, I think you're a, an L. You're a loser, right? Oh, 
What Paul's saying here is wake up, everybody. If you are a Christ follower, if Christ has come in your life and you're alive in him and only you in one sense know, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I mean, that's why we can say, hey, you know, this church is open to anybody on spiritual journey because you may not have come to that place yet to surrender your life to Christ to let him come into your life. That's cool. This is a safe place to be on an investigative journey. All right. But if you've come to that place where you said, come into my life, Jesus, I want to live for you, I want to worship you, then you do not have to be controlled by the sinful nature. It's not that you're a loser. Paul is saying that you're a winner, if I can say that. That, that you have the root of righteousness in you through the Holy Spirit, and so you can live this trajectory. You have batteries included in a powerful way. But I guarantee you, happened to many of you this week, happened to me this week. I had a bad Monday this week with some things that happened to me unexpectedly, and it got me all stirred up inside. It now makes sense in hindsight why what happened to me, which was something from the outside of this church and a contact that was made to me. But I'm like, okay, I am not going to allow this to defeat me. I have to refresh myself, being alive in the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit. I needed several of those this week. All right, I want you to know, as Paul says, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, Christ follower. You are controlled by the Spirit. But you must yield daily to the control of the Spirit if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit living in you daily. All right? Now, right after this verse, there's this section. And verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by the dictates, you will die. Right? Very straightforward. But then there's the phrase, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Tying right back into what I said. But catch the phrase. Paul uses the phrase. The power of the Spirit. Dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. All right? You have power that's within you. This is not just some nice, oh, yeah, I got the Spirit. Isn't that nice? And Yeah, I'm going to try. And I, no, you, you have this source of energy that can move things. I was at the Americana at Glendale a week ago with my son and hadn't been there for a while and they did a terrible thing there. They put a Tesla store in. I never sat in a Tesla store. I mean, it's a Tesla car, right? I wasn't worried about me. I was worried about my 24-year-old son because, yeah, he's just enticed by those kinds of things, right? Now, I'm not going to get off on a whole discussion of, you know, cool, you know, electrical cars, but isn't that neat? In fact, I pulled up to a stoplight the other day, uh, and, and I noticed it was a Tesla. I said, that's a nice car. And then it just whisked past me, and I didn't hear it except for the wind blowing. <laughs> Why? It's powered with a battery, but it's a powerful battery. And it gets recharged, but there's energy there that moves that thing. All right? And Paul's saying there is the power of the Spirit. We're not talking a little double-A battery here. We're talking about the eternal, life-giving energy of the God who created the universe dwells within you. Really? I could get fried. You could. That's a lot of power to create the universe, right? That life lives within you. So I love this uh, aspiration of through the power of the spirit that works within you. And so uh, the one that we add this week, we sort of gave reference to it quickly last week. The Holy Spirit gives power and he gives power for two things. He gives power for holy living and effective witness throughout Scripture. You see it all over power for holy living and effective witness. Whoa, I have that resident within me. I don't need to go try to grab it. I need, you know, I I don't have to go plug it into some outside source even that dwells within me. All right? Ezekiel 36. Oops. I think, yep. Ezekiel 36 
gives forecast prophecy of this. 36 verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That's referencing the holy living aspect. Now, we recall that verse from our last series for Case for Christ. Remember? And Lee Strobel and his wife would pray for Lee to come to faith in Christ, that God would take away his stony heart and give him a heart of flesh, a tender heart. All right? So this in part is where it comes from out of Ezekiel. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will be able to follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. Holy living. But it's not just holy living. There is power for witness. And so I'm going to take on the passage related to the day of Pentecost. Because this is where we see this resident power come established inside the life of believers. Now the day of Pentecost, all right, you sort of have to back up to the first chapter of Acts and see what happened before Jesus ascended to the heavens. So we're talking post-resurrection. Jesus spent 40 days walking with his disciples, telling them, I believe, about the Holy Spirit. And then they come around, not knowing exactly what was going to happen in just a few seconds. And he gives them this instruction at the ascension. Once when they were eating with them, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive dunamis, you will receive dynamite, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he gives them this instruction, and shortly right after that, all of a sudden he's whisked away in their very eyesight into the heavenly realms. And they're gawking up into the heavens. The angels appear to them and go, what's your deal? What are you gawking into the heavens? You know, Jesus, he went into the heavenly realms with the Father to be seated at the right hand of the Father, actually, and he's going to come back in like manner as he went into heaven. So chill out. Don't get too worried and freaked out. And so this whole scene of Acts 1 is just an incredible type of scene. I mean, one of the things I'm uh, interested in here is where the apostles' heads were at. All right. Hey, 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 Jesus. Hey, 40 days now since you rose from the grave. How powerful is that? Are you now going to do it? You're going to establish your reign, your physical reign, and free all of Israel from our oppression here? They asked this question, all right? Right after he says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, where does the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit come from? It comes from John, not the Apostle John, but John the Baptist. All right. I mean, John the Baptist was there, but it's in John. And John speaks forth this, that you will be baptized. All right. In water. That's what I do. But in a few days, you will be baptized. I mean, later on, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this prophetic word, Jesus brings back before he ascends to the heaven and he tells them, wait, chill out, all right? You're going to receive power from on high. And so then we have Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. They need to understand this. The day of Pentecost is not the day of Pentecost because the Holy Spirit came and they named it that, all right? The day of Pentecost was actually a festival, a holiday, for the Jewish people concerning the Torah, the Word of God. All right? Jesus, the whole crucifixion and resurrection happened around the Passover time, which Jews have historically honored, remembered God when he passed over 
right? They're firstborn, and they were celebrating the Passover when Jesus himself became the sacrificial lamb. So the Passover had to do with the exit from Israel under Moses. Forty days, and then to 50 days, there was the day of Pentecost. That's when Moses went up in the mountains, and he received the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He came down from the mountain with the word of God to impart to the people. All right? So Pentecost was already an established time of gathering. So the disciples were back together on the day of Pentecost, just like they had been together for the Passover. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled down upon each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What was this all about? It was about the power for bold witness, in particular. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Why? It was a holiday. Everybody come in. When they heard the loud voice, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. They're from that little niche area. How can they you know, show up at this uh, United Nations conference and all of a sudden start speaking everybody's language when they don't know that language? And yet they hear them speaking in our own native languages. I love this list. This sort of gives you some of the, the flavor of God. People from every language, tribe, and nation that he's redeeming. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Amilamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the providence of Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about uh, the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, oh, they're just drunk. That's all. Uh, President Bush is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, He is on a nine-day tour. What? I said Bush. Wow. See, I'm a dated person here. It's always the Middle East with him. So President Trump makes his first visit to the Middle East. President Trump, uh, he was speaking this morning. Maybe some of you heard him speaking. They have a much better uh, um, place for all their leaders to sit and watch meetings than we do over here, I saw. But um, they uh, were listening to him uh, articulate some vision and hope for the Middle East, right? And then he's going on to Israel, and he's going to go see the Pope and Rome, that kind of thing. And you sort of think, you know, if you've not been over there, it's a conglomeration of a lot of people from a lot of different kinds of places. Well, God intends for people from all nations to become Christ followers of him. And so on the day of Pentecost, he equipped the disciples to have the power to communicate with bold witness to everybody. Without question, you cannot say that the day of Pentecost, all right, is anything other than them being filled with the Spirit to speak in languages so that others could hear witness. All right? That was a miracle. Does that miracle happen today? That miracle does happen today. Maybe not as common as then, but there's other times when I know that people have thought that miracle could happen to them and speak in languages, even missionaries who did all the other preparations, but they even thought, you know, they're going to land us a few years ago. They did this, not as much today, right? I'm going to land up in the country and God's going to give me the language. 
No, God's going to tell you to go to language school for probably two years. All right? But he could, and he did. And he used that as uh, an empowerment for bold witness. Now, I want to look at a couple things here. One is if I go back to um, Acts 1, Jesus says, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it. Who wrote it? Luke. Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles. So he's recording that they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then, when he comes to record what happened on the day of Pentecost, he says that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to camp here for a second. Because I want to explain what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. But there's a lot of confusion sometimes amongst different churches as to what that means. And there's a lot of confusion over terms. Some people will say that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some people will encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there a difference? Is it the same? If someone walks up to you and says, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? The first thing you should say to them is, what do you mean by being baptized in the Holy Spirit? All right? Who said baptized in the Holy Spirit? John did. And John said, hey, I baptize in water, but there's one coming that will baptize you with the Spirit. All right? Luke takes that term two different times, actually, and references it. The only other times it's spoken are in the gospel referring to the baptism of John and then then the future baptism of the Spirit. Luke uses the term baptism of the Spirit two times. Once here and a few chapters later in Acts. Both times he's using it in reference to the statement that was said earlier at the beginning of Christ's ministry. All right? Now, the Apostle Paul also uses the statement baptism of the Spirit But if you look at the context of where he uses the baptism of the Spirit, he doesn't seem to be using it in the same sense that Luke used it in the Acts of the Apostles. He's using reference to it in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe it is, referencing that you are baptized, uh, the Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. So it's having to do more with regeneration. You do not find in Scripture the term baptism of the Spirit being used a lot except for Luke referencing it here is probably the initial point of when the Spirit came and penetrated and not just rested upon the apostles, but indwelt them. So baptism of the Holy Spirit should not be reserved for some special kind of identification mark related to the speaking in other languages and whether or not you have been baptized with the Spirit. Luke says, filled with the Spirit. The question is not, have you been baptized with the Spirit, but have you been filled with the Spirit? Now, you can ask on the heels of that, when you were filled with the Spirit, what happened to you? And I'm not somebody who believes any of the spiritual gifts have been cut off. There are the gifts of tongues, of speaking in other languages. As we'll look at it in a couple of weeks when we drive down a little bit deeper into this whole subject, there is also what's referenced a spiritual prayer language in 1 Corinthians 14. But you cannot identify tongues, whether as supernatural lang- the ability to speak languages or the ability to have some heavenly prayer language, all right, directly to this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit was marked at this time so that they could have power for bold witness. But the Holy Spirit brings much other, many other things besides just power for a bold witness in a moment of time. Power for holy living. The dunamis. Let me punch. You know, I want that start switch. I, I want the power of God in my life. Doesn't mean you sit in a room and say, I've got to have the gift of tongues. I really need this prayer language. You see, the gifts are distributed as the Holy Spirit desires to different people in different ways. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. We're going to get there in a little bit more detail. Trust me. Keep praying for me. And um, we're going to talk about this. 
But the fullness of the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit is not identified with a particular spiritual gift, sign gift, communal gift, whatever it may be. The Holy Spirit, if you want to know if someone's been filled with the Holy Spirit, just look at their life. Is the fruit of the Spirit there? Do they have power for bold witness? Is there a spirit of joy about them? Because the Holy Spirit brings joy. Do not get sidebarred into discussions or even debates, in my opinion, about a particular gift being identified with being filled or we'll use the term baptized with the Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, interchangeably. Luke seems to be identifying this idea of being filled with the Spirit as the initial time when the wholeness, fullness of the Spirit comes into life. In this example, on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in languages to be a bold witness to other people. At other times, the spiritual gift comes of whether language or a prayer language, the intercede, all right? But at no time is a single spiritual gift identified with the fullness of the Spirit. If you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it talks about even the gift of tongues. There being one of the gifts, and not everybody has the gift. Somewhere, and I don't have time to go down this, down this path, there's been sort of this tit-for-tat thing going on in the evangelical world, all the way back to sort of in the early 1900s, 1906, when God miraculously broke out in a place called Azusa Street in Los Angeles, and they received a fullness of the Spirit in some ways, and they spoke in tongues and languages, right? And prayer languages. Praise God for that. But then, us human beings, what do we do? We like to take sides. Just like we see in our culture today, our political culture and other things. And it's not about open discussion and debate and dialogue. It's just about winning and pushing each other away and pushing them down. Well, you're not with me. Well, you're not with me. That's exactly what happened with this whole thing of the outbreak of tongues and the fullness of the Spirit in modern days. It's like, oh, you don't have the fullness of the Spirit if you don't have this particular gift. And other people are saying, oh, if you got that gift, then you're not of God because that gift doesn't exist. Where does all this come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Satan wants to discourage the body of Christ from being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Get mad at the right person. And he wants to keep you away from the fullness of the Spirit. Are you concerned about this whole discussion on the Holy Spirit getting you out in Weirdsville? Don't. The Holy Spirit discussion and experience is not Weirdsville. But somewhere, the adversary, and maybe it's through guys like me that haven't taught well, I don't know, there's been a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of distancing, and there's a lot of, on the other side, fanaticism. The Spirit's been given clearly and succinctly has power for you for two key things. Holy living and effective and bold witness. Acts moves on. More evidence about the boldness for witness. Acts 4.31, and they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit. And they spoke tongues again. No. They spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 6-7, the word of God continued to spread. Acts 12-24, the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Acts 19-20, the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. The Holy Spirit, friends, is given as power for you for a holy, living, effective witness. And I think, you want to see something I think sort of incredible, so my eyes were lighting to it this week? Remember Pentecost? Pentecost was an established Jewish holiday, and they were celebrating when Moses got the word of God, the Torah, and came down from Mount Sinai to impart to the people, right? It's all about the word of God. Well, here on the day of Pentecost, God redeems it afresh and anew in Jesus through the Holy Spirit for the word of God to come and indwell people, but for the word of God to go forth into the world boldly. So Pentecost is redeemed again. Yeah, Pentecost, you want to celebrate the day of Pentecost? 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus? Go at it. 
And when you celebrate the day of Pentecost, you can focus on the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can also focus on the Word of God. It's because when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Torah, the law, and it's also when the Spirit of God indwelt people for the Word of God to go forward boldly. Isn't that cool? I thought it was cool. He didn't. Ephesians 5.15 has an interesting verse. Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Maybe he was thinking about the Pentecost passage and them being accused of being drunk when they spoke in those languages. But he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, oh, there's the phrase again. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Are you filled with the Spirit? And we're going to talk about that in a second, about that whole how that fullness operates in our life. But I want to give reference to the verb Paul uses here as filled. It's actually, I believe, in the, in the presence imperative tense. And it really means this. Having been filled, keep on being filled constantly and continually. Having been filled, keep on being filled. So you come to a place where you surrender your life full and afresh to God. He comes in. You are filled with the Spirit. He brings you all that you need for holy living and for effective bold witness. But, guess what? You're not encouraged just to say, ah, been there, done that. I was baptized in the Spirit. I got it. I'm good. See you later. No. The exhortation is to be filled with the Spirit, and it's in the verb tense in the Greek that says, having been filled, keep on being filled constantly and continually. And so what this has to do is with the next point I want to represent to you. And it's this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a crisis and a progressive experience. A crisis and expressive, uh, a progressive experience. When you are a believer, batteries are included. At conversion, you have the Holy Spirit. Never doubt it. But normally what happens, now it can happen at the same time of conversion, especially if you really, wow, you're wide open, you really, this, this moment of conversion where God just grips everything in your life. But normally it's this understanding, hey, I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not my works. And praise God about that, Jesus. I pray that you would come into my life, forgive me my sins, and from this day forward, to the best of my ability, I'm going to seek to live for you. And so at that moment of conversion, you have the Holy Spirit. But then, subsequent to that, many a times, there is a crisis moment in your life where God, because he lives when you, really flips the flashlight on, And he starts showing you around all the places you still have control. And maybe it's some crisis moment of an external circumstantial issue. Maybe it's just a crisis of the soul. I call it just a crisis of Holy Spirit moment where the Spirit of God speaks to you about full surrender. It's not the question, do you have the Holy Spirit? But it's the question, does the Holy Spirit have you? And have all of you. You hear what I'm saying? I can allow somebody to rent a room in my house. But encourage them to stay in that room. Don't you be messing with the kids rooms. Don't you be messing with the master bedroom. That's your room. You're renting that room. A little bit of common space. We're okay with that. You are not inviting Christ into your life as a tenant. Christ comes into your life and he's going to establish himself as the landlord, the owner. You just need to know that. Why? Because he's a meanie? No, because he really does know how to order your life. It's better to give it up and let him run with it. But that searchlight, he says, what about here and here? And then he opens a closet and he says, oh, this closet's a mess. You want to give me this closet too? Oh, no, stay out of the closet. That's the trash. That's the bad stuff in my life. God says, no, I want to come in there too with my spirit. So you yield complete control of your whole house to the Lord in this crisis moment of faith. And I believe in that crisis moment of faith is truly when you are filled to the full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you didn't have the Holy Spirit at conversion, but this crisis moment, fully surrender everything to Jesus. Have you done that? 
That's the big L word, not loser. That's the big L word of the word lordship. Fully surrendered. And if you've not got to that place as a Christ follower, I'm sorry for you because it's miserable to live a half foot in, half foot out kind of life. Full surrender. Crisis moment. I can take you there in my own life when that happened. Full surrender. How about you? And if you've not, I encourage you to seek God. Just kneel by your bed tonight. Maybe go on a prayer walk. You pray with someone after church. If you, a friend, crisis moment. But this is not the crisis moment. According to this, to be filled with the Spirit is keep on being filled constantly and continually. It's a progressive kind of experience. And so you move forward from there, from one day to the next, growing in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3.12 says this. Not that I've already been obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Who said this? Paul said this. Paul's the one who said, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was mindful, even in his own life, very much in his own life, read Romans 7, is that he was an imperfect individual. When you have this crisis moment, sometimes it's referred to as a sanctification moment if you come out of holiness circles. Sanctification is not perfectionism. You don't become perfect. You're perfect in your inner being because of the righteousness of Christ. His Holy Spirit dwells in your spirit, but in your mind and your will and your emotions, the soulish nature kind of thing, God is working his way through that. And so as you keep being filled, as you keep letting him in, not just one time into all the rooms and to be landlord, but to continually clean the house and work the house and, and decorate and you know renovate the house, he is doing a fresh work, a progressive work in your life. So you have people in the camp with this whole Holy Spirit discussion. They just want to talk about tongues and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have other people that they want to just talk about sanctification, referencing it as being perfect. Not that I've already, that I've been made perfect, Paul said. It's an ongoing, progressive experience. And just as surely as I can tell you, when I believe I had my crisis moment of Holy Spirit experience, I can tell you many times when I've had progressive moments when the Spirit of God has touched me. I've been in services like this. There's been sometimes in prayer times, other things, that I have just wept, kneeling in a chair or in a, in, a, in a pew because God's conviction in my life and asking Him to fresh and anew to empower me. I'm standing there during worship today knowing this is a big subject and go all over the place. I don't know where everybody's at. God, I just need your fresh and filling of your spirit to be able to speak your word boldly with, with righteousness and truth today. So we have conversion. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a crisis moment where the Holy Spirit wants to have all of you. And then you have progressive experiences of being filled with the Spirit. How beautiful are those times of refreshing. It's not based on feelings. It's nice to have feelings. It's not based on sign gifts, though it's nice to have the gifts of the Spirit. It's based on the Word of God and His work in your life. John Piper says this, What should we seek? and this applies to all Christians, is that God pour out His Spirit upon us so completely that we are filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And the ways He brings us to the fullness are probably as varied as people are. It may come in a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and no tongues. It may come through a crisis of suffering when you abandon yourself totally to God, or it may come gradually through a steady diet of God's word and prayer and fellowship and worship and service. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of the Spirit is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Spirit. So those are your teaching points. Those are your takeaways for today. Add them to your list. I conclude with two things. I want to conclude with an exhortation from the Apostle Paul himself concerning the power. It's actually a prayer, a petition of his to God. And then I want you to watch a video that I think ties some together of this whole holy living and effective witness and the power of the Spirit. So this is Paul's statement. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with dunamis, power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have dunamis, power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, the great benediction. We use it sometimes when we close. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to what? His power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This power is for you as an individual Christ follower. This power is for you if you're not a Christ follower and you're contemplating how in the world could you live a life as a Christian. But this power is also for us as a church body. I want you to watch a video by Francis Chan that was done up by his ministry. He wrote a book on it. Some of you may be familiar with this. You might think it's a little kiddish. It's not when you think about it. The Little Red Tractor. The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. Once upon a time in a little field in a happy little village lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on a tractor. It was then that people shouted, He was right. The tractor book is true. The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world.
if you haven't figured it out, the red tractor represents the church. Um, we've, we've had this church system for, for years now that has been fine at taking care of their own and, and surviving. But when you read the manual, when you read the Bible, I mean, don't you see something different? Don't you see something supernatural? Uh, so much of church is, is human effort and people pushing it along, getting the most gifted speakers and musicians and, and dancers and planners and businessmen. And, oh, let's, let's move this thing along. And things happen. But when you read in Scripture, don't you see that there was so much more that was supernatural? That, that the church had a movement of its own, that the Holy Spirit really led this, this movement and, and things would happen and the people just kind of come alongside of it and reap the benefits. I, when, I, when I see the scriptures, I see a church that's unstoppable. And part of my frustration is I feel like today's church is so stoppable. You just take away uh, enough of these gifted people and it's going to die. You just change this or that and the whole thing would die. Whereas in the scriptures, there was no way that church was going to die. There was a power of its own. It was fueled by the Holy Spirit. And, And I really believe that if we began to live the way the Holy Spirit wanted us to live, that amazing things would happen. Amen. As Joe and the team come to close us out this morning, I remind you that that power is available for us as a body. And that power that came on the day of Pentecost so mightily worked in those people that on that very day, 3,000 people were added to the number of Christ's followers. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask this morning two things. One is that your power would fill individuals. Individuals this morning that are maybe challenged and struggling with where they're at in the area of lordship and they need a fresh surrender. They need a crisis moment, if you will. Lord, may you fill them with your spirit as they surrender to you. Maybe a place of just quiet prayer maybe praying with someone else this week, even today. Lord, for those individuals that need your power to come afresh in their life, may you fill them. And then, Lord, I pray for us as a church. Message series come and they go. Lord, I want this series to make a big impact on our lives as a body. You've given us different gifts, passions, and experiences. But you've given us your Holy Spirit. I pray your Spirit would be poured out upon us as a body of people. It's hard to keep pushing ministries. Whether it's a children's ministry, a student ministry, or a Sunday morning engagement. Lord, we need your power engaged moving us forward in a mighty way. And so, Lord, I pray on behalf of us as a body that you would fill us and fall afresh and anew in our lives as a body of of servants and co-workers. Lord, may we be fully alive in Christ and fully alive to your mission 